Hello and welcome to Happier, a podcast that gives you strategies and tips for how to build happier habits into your daily life. This week, we'll talk about why you should buy an experience and work on your foundation. I'm Gretchen Rubin, a writer who studies happiness, good habits, and human nature. I'm in New York City and days away from meeting the Dalai Lama himself. With me is my sister, Elizabeth Kraft. That's me, Elizabeth Kraft. I'm not nearly as interesting as the Dalai Lama, but I am a TV writer and producer living in Los Angeles. (laughs) Um, A quick update on shrines. We talked about why cultivating a shrine can make you happier in episode 14, and we were delighted to get... uh, comments and also a lot of pictures from people about their shrines. Some shrines included a shrine to cats, a shrine to books by Mary Stoltz, by somebody who was a big fan of her, like I am. She's a very underrated uh, young adult writer, I think. And Jane Austen shrine. Okay, she's not underrated. She's perfectly rated. Horses and horseback riding. To tea. Uh, also to the Dalai Lama. Speaking of the Dalai Lama, someone had a shrine to Dalai Lama. And I was happy to see a photo on Twitter of somebody's mug shrine. Gretchen. Oh, yes. 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 Mugs they had gathered traveling. So that was a, a fellow uh, mug lover. Yeah. Yeah. So thanks for everybody also for calling in with comments for our very special episode coming up in episode 20. We're going through the comments now. It's uh, it's terrific. So Elizabeth, this week, our try this at home tip is to buy an experience. And that is a tip based on the interview that we did in episode 15 with Tom Rath. That was one of the things that he talked about was why it was a good idea to try to buy an experience. Yeah, I loved what he said about spending $100 on an experience as opposed to spending $100 on a pair of shoes. He said that the joy that you get for every $100 spent on an experience that you share with other people sort of seems exponentially greater than what you'd get from just purchasing an object. Well, and I think a key thing there is that if if someone else is involved, because yeah. um, it's relationships with other people are such a source of happiness for us. And so if you're doing something that means that you're having a connection with someone else, that's going to be a lot more meaningful than just like a new like a new black cardigan or a new hoodie, which is the thing <laughs> that I most in, the, the possession that I seem to end up buying the most. So that's a really good thing to keep in mind. I mean, without thinking about this explicitly, I realized that years ago when Jamie had his 30th birthday, I had thought, well, maybe I should give him sort of an expensive sort of lasting gift, like something like a really nice wristwatch. And then I thought, no, I'll have a party instead, use the money for a party. And I think it was more fun, like a wristwatch. He wouldn't get really that much more pleasure out of a really nice watch than he would from a really cheap watch. But having a party is something that was an experience and connected us with our friends and was something that we can remember for always. Yeah. And it's, it's funny, as we're talking about this, I'm thinking about Jack has various sticker charts. You know, if there's some Something. We're trying good behavior. We're trying to encourage. He gets a sticker and then he gets some sort of reward once the chart's yeah. full. And right now he has he has a chart that's trying. We're trying to get him to agree to wear button shirts. That's just oh. you know our thing. <laughs> wow, um, that's and- a very five year old kind <laughs> yeah, of right. ambition. <laughs> I know. Anyway, and at the end of his uh, button shirt sticker chart, he's supposed to get a Captain America shield. 
But I'm wondering if instead I should uh, offer to go to Legoland because he loves Legos and it'd be, again, a thing we would do as a whole family as opposed to just, you know, another plastic toy. It would be an experience. Yeah, it would be an experience. And, you know, I just didn't even occur to me to offer sort of an experience as a reward as opposed to an object. So I'm going to totally do that. Though I do, I would add that I, I do feel like sometimes the line between possessions and experience is not that clear. Like, yeah, it's clear to see that a pair of black boots is a possession. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, like, is a camera a possession or an experience? Mm-hmm. Is a dog or a bike a possession or experience? Or maybe that pair of boots is really going to dramatically change your experience of going to a party. I mean, sometimes I think possessions really are bound up in our experience. Like, I remember, remember when you moved to an apartment that was finally big enough for you to have a dining room table? Uh-huh. And you said, like, now I want the dining room table because now I can have people over. Yeah, absolutely. That's true. Sometimes you need to buy something in order to create experience. So let us know if you buy an experience and please take a picture of yourself doing that experience. We'd love to see it. Noom is the habit-changing solution that helps users learn to develop a new relationship with food through personalized courses. Based in psychology, Noom teaches you why you do the things you do and empowers you with the tools you need to break bad habits and replace them with better ones. Because everyone's different, Noom adjusts to your lifestyle. They teach you the psychology behind the decisions you make and then help you keep track of everything from workouts and steps to analyze your diet and recommending healthy recipes. Noom also connects you with a personally assigned goal specialist and a community of other Noomers, so you have all the support you need to empower your change. Gretch, you know, I love Noom. I love all the tools it has, especially the step tracker and the weight tracker. I rely on those every day. Yep, you don't have to change it all in one day. Small steps make big progress. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com slash happier. That's N-O-O-M dot com slash happier. What do you have to lose? Visit Noom.com slash happier to start your trial today. Now it's time for the better than before habit strategy. In my book about how to change our habits, I identify 21 different strategies that we can use to make or break our habits. And this week, we're going to talk about the strategy of foundation. Hmm. What What does that mean, the strategy of foundation? Well, so what I noticed as I was studying habits and how people keep their habits is that there were certain aspects of life that seemed to matter more when it came to whether people were able to successfully change their habits. When we're trying to change our habits, we're trying to use our self-mastery, which means, you know, we're trying to get ourselves to behave in a certain way. And you really want your self-mastery to be high. That's just a generally really good thing in life. And these aspects of life were the things that really strengthen your self-mastery or Put another way, if you don't watch out for these things in your foundation, your self-mastery is going to be undermined. So what are those elements? Although I'm going to guess one of them is sleep since, since you came up with it. Yes, I am a sleep zealot. Yeah, one of them is sleep. If you don't get enough sleep, and most adults need at least seven hours of sleep, it's very hard to have self-mastery. It's very hard to stick to your good habits because you're just, you're exhausted, you're depleted, you're drained, and that undermines your self-mastery. Kind of along the same lines, Exercise. It turns out that unless you're exercising at the really outer limits, exercise tends to boost energy. And by exercise, I mean just kind of moving around. It doesn't have to be, uh, you know, training for the marathon. It's just something like, 
you know, getting up and walking for 20 minutes. I mean, you've got a treadmill desk. Don't you find that your energy and your self-mastery is higher when you are using your treadmill desk at work? A hundred percent. It makes such a difference to just have that movement throughout the day in terms of energy, in terms of, yeah, living well. It, it encourages me to make good choices. Yeah, it's huge. Yeah, it's funny how there's all these things that are tied together. Um, and then one of them is eating and drinking. And it's funny because there's sort of this thing where one of the reasons that people overeat is because they don't eat enough. You know, you skip breakfast, you skip lunch, and then you just, you know, you can't stop eating uh, at a certain point and you're picking all the wrong things. And I found this about myself, that if I let myself get too hungry, it's almost like I can't catch up. And then that's when I'm like, lose my temper. That's when everything kind of falls apart is when I've let myself get too hungry. And also, well, drinking, I mean, I think that like, everybody gets that, you know, if you drink more, like it's going to lower your inhibition. That's part of what's fun about it. Yeah. Yeah. So alcohol is not going to help you keep your good habits. But then the last one, I think, so there's the foundation. So appropriately, there are four elements that set the foundation. I was surprised by this one, which is uncluttering, because it turns out that for most people, not for everybody, but for most people, outer order contributes to inner calm. And I mean, Elizabeth, you're, you're not sort of a naturally orderly person, but don't, do you feel like you have more sense of control of yourself or sort of more sense of self-mastery when things are less cluttered? Does it matter to you? Yeah, I mean, I will say recently Adam and I cleaned out, and I have to give him the credit, he really drove this, uh, cleared out a big um, part of our garage. We got rid of a ton of stuff. I think I even showed you a picture of the big pile. I took a picture of everything we were getting rid of. I was there. I saw oh, it in person there. because it was, no, well, you were sort of halfway through That's right. Uh, when I came, but you showed me. Yeah. And oh my gosh, yeah, you, like half had been done and half hadn't been done. So it was sort of a before and after uh, right there in front of you. Yeah. yeah no. It was an so, amazing feeling. And we still have, I, I feel like when we finished, because now we have sort of round two, we have to take care yeah. of. Um, I feel like it's, we're going to be born again. You know, it's like to have a cleaned out garage is going to totally change our lives. Uh, so I get that. Well, and it's funny because it just, it doesn't seem like it would matter that much. Like, like why would it help you practice the guitar by cleaning out your coat closet? Like those things seem totally unrelated, but over and over people tell me, and I certainly feel this way myself, that there's something about getting rid of stuff that you don't use, that you don't need, that's in your way, that doesn't work, that you don't even know what it is. You know, like we had some kitchen gadgets. I'm like, I don't even know what this does. I mean, it was a gift. Like who knows? Like, how do you even use this? Um, You get rid of that stuff, let it live a long and happy life with somebody who's going to use it productively. And it just ends up making you feel like you can do other things, you know, stick to these other good habits. It's funny with these elements of uh, foundation, I'm thinking of the cover of Better Than Before and how it's all those sort of sticks that are, uh, you know, randomly yeah. placed scattered. and scattered. And then as the there's a few different pictures and by the last picture, they're together in this perfect star shape. Yeah, And it's sort of, I mean makes sense that that was the cover because it's like all of these things when they come together create the ability to then sort of go to the higher you know a higher self yeah no it's they sort of all add up um but but it's definitely true that for most people these these elements of foundation sleep uh, exercise or just moving around, eating and drinking right, and, and, and cluttering are, do kind of set the foundation. And so the rest of the architecture is going to be a lot more solid 
because if that foundation isn't strong, then everything else is so hard. You can't, it's hard to stick to it. So when I want to write my novel, what I really need to ask myself is, am I getting enough sleep? There you go. You know what I'm going to say? <laughs> oh, I'm going to have to examine that, Gretchen. Yeah, 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 good luck with that. <laughs> okay, listener question. What's up today? Today we have Katie from Ohio. Hi, Gretchen and Elizabeth. My question regards the four domains of like what you can be, like a questioner or you know things like that. I am definitely a questioner. Um, I haven't taken the test, but I know without a doubt, like, that's who I am. I'm constantly like, is this relevant to my career goal? Is this important to me? And if it's not, I'm like, why do I have to do this? What is the point? And if I don't see a point, then I have a very hard time doing whatever it is that I'm supposed to be doing or that I'm told to do. So, and I feel like sometimes I get in my own way. Like, if I don't want to do something or I don't see a point to it, then... I I go about it in such a way that I'm not happy about it. And I realize that's not the way life works. Everyone has to do things that they don't want to do or they don't see as having a point. So how would you recommend sort of getting over that, even though that being a questioner is just part of my tendency as a person? So that's about it. Thank you. Bye. Uh, Gretchen, this is such a good question. And I'm dying to hear your response because you're married to a questioner. Jamie is a questioner. Does he do everything he needs to do or does he struggle with this? You know, I, I, she she's pointing out uh, something that a lot of questioners have told me uh, and that I've seen myself um, that they struggle with, which is that for questioners, and again, this is for the four tendencies framework, which I discuss in my book better than before and which we've discussed here on the podcast, which divides people into one of four categories, upholder, questioner, obliger, or rebel. And Katie very clearly is a questioner. The thing about questioners is they want to do things because they're very focused on efficiency, justification, rationale, um, fairness. And so it does drive them crazy if they think that something is inefficient or unnecessary. You know, they're always asking, like, well, why should I listen to you? Um, they hate, hate anything arbitrary that wastes their time. And a lot of questioners said exactly this, that sometimes it gets in their way that they know they should be doing something, but it's so dumb in their minds. They're like, how can I make myself do this thing that's so arbitrary? Or why should I listen to somebody whose authority I don't believe in? I'm supposed to, and it hurts me that I'm not. And yet, it makes me crazy. And so here's the thing that questioners can sometimes do. Questioners are very focused on justification and rationale. They want to know why are they why should they meet a certain expectation. And so what they can do is they can kind of take the justification to another level and and really go through the process of saying, "Yes, I think that it's unnecessary to file this report. We don't need this information and so I don't mm-hmm. I think it's a waste of time." even though my boss is telling me to do it. But then to push it a level further, instead of right there stopping, because that, that's everything a questioner dislikes, is to say, and yet it does make sense for me to do this. It is a good use of my time to do this because I want to have a good reputation in the eyes of my boss and being willing to follow through efficiently and effectively on this task 
is something that's going to help me achieve that end. So to look for another justification that makes sense, even if the kind of uh, source justification doesn't make sense, um, because it's true. If questioners don't buy into some an expectation, it's very difficult for them to do it. They just don't want to do something if they don't think it makes sense. Yeah. And she said that, you know, she knows there are certain things she has to do. So yes. it's just taking it, like you said, to that next step and finding, forcing yourself to find an answer, even even if it's not readily apparent. Right, because articulate the justification for why it makes sense for you. And sometimes that justification, and I'm sure this is something that my husband thinks a lot of times, the only justification is that it's important to somebody he loves. Like, I'm do, I'm choosing to do this because it's important to you. That's my justification. I don't want to do it. I don't think I should have to right. do it. But I will choose to do it because it's important to you. You know, that's a justification that sometimes can help them get over that hurdle. Well, I will say Katie can be comforted in knowing that all the tendencies have pros and cons. Yes. So, you know, she has the question or cons, but, you know, obligers, I'm one. We have our own problems. And they all have strengths. And questioner, there's a lot of strengths to being a questioner, too. So um, you're exactly right. The four tendencies, like, they all have their pluses and minuses. Um, and, the, and the secret is to figure out how do you deal with the, the, the negatives so that you get the positives without the downsides. And by the way, if you're wondering if you're a questioner like Katie uh, or one of the other of the four tendencies, you can take a quiz on my site, GretchenRubin.com. There's a quiz there uh, to help you diagnose yourself. Okay, Elizabeth, I think this time it's my turn to confess to my demerits. Let's hear um, it. Well, it's table manners. Uh, <laughs> my table manners and my daughter's table manners. So my table manners are not great. I do not have great table manners, and that is something that I should work on. Uh, so that's sort of a demerit for me. But then there's also the demerit, which is that I do not enforce good manners on my daughters. And I feel like that's actually much more significant because it's almost like mommy malpractice. <laughs> I feel like good table manners, it's like one of the skills that you're supposed to have leaving childhood. It's like not teaching your children bike riding. It's one of these things that it's really, as a parent, you should work on. But the thing about table manners is that, you know, you, you have to be very consistent and, you know, there's a lot of like reminding and setting right. a good example, which I don't do. And, um, and the fact is like, I don't like to do that. Like we're he eating dinner uh, or brunch or whatever. And I don't want to like remind Nitpick. and I, yeah, well, I don't even want to have to notice. Right? I mean, and that's the thing. It's kind of selfish because like, I don't want to have to be bothered to notice, to correct, to pay attention to it. Like we don't, and we don't, like set the table, uh, you know, and, and, and it would be nicer and more civilized. And I do feel like it's an obligation to kind of give them that skill set. And so yeah. this is something that I'm, I'm feeling like. Well, you, you know, you love your rituals. What if you said once a week, you're going to set the table and use real napkins and everyone's going to pass the salt and pepper together uh, and, you know, made it into sort of an event. And that's your man time to teach the good manners. Okay, well, see, this is another demerit because as part of the Happiness Project, we had Polite Night. Ah. Um, which And Polite Night was exactly that. It was like supposed to be that every Saturday night we set the table and we ate like, you know, properly. Um, and, I, and I let that go. So I should reinstitute Polite Night for exactly the reasons that you say. But the thing about Polite Night is I don't, I don't want to do it. I don't want to be bothered <laughs> to do it. Uh, you know what you should do? What? Put Eleanor in charge. Oh, yes. That's such a good idea. She's such a policeman. She'll love to be the enforcer. Okay. Yes. I will tell Eleanor she's in charge of polite night. That's a great, that's a great suggestion. 
Uh, do you remember us talking about table manners that much? I, I I can't imagine that mom wasn't focused on it, but I don't I don't really re- I remember nothing, but I don't remember any particular discussion of it. Do you? I remember there was lots of don't put your elbows on the table. Um, and I and I will say you and I had dinner the other night together, and I had my elbows on the table, and you did not. <laughs> I noticed that, and I felt badly about it, even though I didn't stop putting my elbows on the table. I'm sure that was just. The way that I was sitting and not any good table manners. But I'm glad to hear there was that moment of good table yeah. And mom, as I mentioned, she was big on passing the salt and pepper together. So that's one that's drilled into okay. my brain. And we definitely, she taught us the whole forks thing, you know, which fork to use with what. But I don't think we were overly concerned. And maybe that's, you know, the vibe you're following. Well, Elizabeth, you get a gold star right there for coming up with this solution uh, to make Eleanor in charge of it. Uh, but I know you have another gold star. Who are you giving? A, who or what are you giving a gold star to? I am giving a gold star to Julie, who's one of the moms uh, in Jack's preschool class. Uh, ah. Yeah, she last year and this year, Julie took it upon herself to have to create a yearbook for the class. So Jack's oh class is called the Adventurers. And last year they were the Mighty Mangoes. And <laughs> Julie, we would have, um, asked everyone to send her pictures of their kids and the other kids at school or not, or at birthday parties or whatnot. And then she takes the time to put it all together into a oh yearbook. Oh my gosh. And this oh year she's gosh. having quotes from the kids and quotes from the parents about the school and the teachers. And it's this great thing because, you know, preschool isn't like elementary school and high school where there's this organized committee that does a yearbook. We wouldn't have this at all if she just didn't take it upon herself to do it. And it's just this amazing thing that like we'll keep for our whole lives to have these pictures of these kids when they were three and four and five years old. You know what? I think I have a yearbook from my preschool. Oh, it's, do yes, you? I, oh, you put a I picture? Think I do. Uh, put a picture up because I want to see yes. you, uh, yes. little redhead Gretchen. I, I think I have it in an exact place. <sighs> so if no I doubt. do have, if it is in my possession, I know exactly where it would be. So I will either walk right to it or realize that it's gone forever. Okay. So I think I have it. No, and it's precious. I mean, it, it, it is. It's something that you can't really is the sign of a particular time of life. It um, is. That's so fleeting. It's so fleeting. And, you know, and Julie is really busy. She's got two kids. She's a veterinarian. You know, she's oh got gosh. a million things going on. And I just want to give her a gold star for taking the time to do something that benefits so many people, uh, just yes. really out of the goodness of her heart. For decades. This is something that it's not just like nice now. It'll be something that Jack might look at 50 years from now. Absolutely. Gold stars. Okay, and that's it for this episode of Happier. Remember to try this at home by an experience. Let us know if you tried it and if it worked for you. Thanks, as always, to our producer, Henry Malofsky. Also, big thanks to Laura Mayer and Andy Bowers from Panoply, all of whom I'm sure have wonderful table manners. (laughs) Please let us know what you think of the show. Gretchen's on Twitter at Gretchen Rubin, and I'm at Elizabeth Craft. Our email address is podcast at GretchenRubin.com. If you like the show, as always, please be sure to tell a friend and subscribe, rate, or review us in iTunes. Until next week, I'm Elizabeth Craft. And I'm Gretchen Rubin. Thanks for joining us. Onward and upward.
This podcast is part of the Panoply Network. Check out our entire roster of podcasts at iTunes.com slash Panoply. Wait, I hear twittering. Do you hear that? Is it birds outside my window? Literally birds. Now they've gone away, but I did hear them. Should I just say that? Well, that'd be a good button if we want another button.